You are experiencing the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. It is June 19th, 2023, and welcome to the Knuckleheads of Liberty, where we are bringing you the people and the organizations fighting for liberty across the country and in your region. Um, and today we have a show that's focused on the kids. Um, can't think of a more important thing <laughs> to focus on. Um, and the question is, are the kids your kids or are they our kids is kind of the thing. Who speaks for the kids? And so to dive into that, we're going to talk with uh, David DeLugas. Of, uh, he is the executive director and general counsel of Parents USA. Uh, so we're happy to have him back on the show. We had him on before and, uh, you know, we'll bring up his website and everything else. But before we get into everything, uh, let me introduce you to the rest of the panel. In our lower left-hand corner, we have Leon, the word Brathwaite, last word in Liberty. He is a retired mm -hmm. engineer in the state of California. In our lower right-hand corner, we have David DeLugas with us, who I just introduced. And my name is Jason McPhee, and I'll be your host today. So, uh, you know, it's, it's all about the kids. And I tell you, it just seems like the government has a war against parents going on out there. I mean, it's like the, every place you look, the government wants to to put to uh, <laughs> substitute its judgment for a parent's judgment uh, or what should be a parent's judgment. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I want to bring up a few uh, incidents that have happened recently, and that's going to kind of lay the framework for us to dive into all this. Um, so just in case you don't think this stuff is real, um, we see it happening all the time. And James, maybe you could bring up the visual here. Um, here's an article from Reason. Cop questions uh, a Connecticut mom who let his kid walk home, uh, you know, seven-year-old walk a mile. Um, here's another case. Uh, Connecticut parents arrested for letting uh, kids seven and nine go to Dunkin' Donuts. Another mom arrested for letting her kid play unsupervised and in, in a park i you know this is just you know it's like thank goodness is it's it's the government and they're here to help <laughs> i don't know putting parents in jail i can't think of well well uh, david has been working on these cases uh quite a bit and uh he had a case recently that was on Dr. Phil. Um, and that case has come to a resolution, but let's lay out the case real quick. And then we'll uh, let uh, cut David loose to, to uh, tell, uh, tell us all about it. Uh, James, can you bring up the video really quick from that uh, segment? The mother of five faces up to a year behind bars. Why? Well, for having her teenage daughter babysit her little brother during the pandemic. In May 2020, Melissa Henderson had to go to work, but her children's daycare was closed due to COVID. Her solution? She decided to leave her daughter, who she says is a responsible 14-year-old, in charge. Well, all was well until the teenager was reportedly distracted by schoolwork and her four-year-old brother wandered out of the house unnoticed. Now, he was found safe and sound at a friend's home within 15 minutes. But the cops were called, and they cuffed the single mom and charged her with criminal reckless conduct. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Dr. Phil. And so there was the clip that introduces it. And um, if you want to go and see the rest of that whole episode, uh, go to parentsusa.org uh, slash media, and you can find the rest of that there. It's about 14 minutes long, so you can check out, uh, you know, the whole thing back then. But there's been a resolution. So you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on with that case, David? 
Well, this is uh, typical of government and the judicial system people. So pay attention to this. Uh, it was May of 2020 when the incident happened. <clears throat> Uh, a week later, six days later, a deputy thought using his personal views of whether or not this was too reckless uh, for a parent to engage in such conduct as allowing a 14-year-old to care for siblings, he sought an arrest warrant. Magistrate judge, which again is fairly typical, signs the arrest warrant, the phrase often used is rubber stamped, and went out to arrest her and did in fact arrest her, cuffed her, fingerprint, mugshot, uh, everything associated with that. A year later, not quite a year later, the district attorney's office, because they have to prosecute these cases if a law enforcement officer arrests, they don't want to not prosecute. That might be admitting they, they shouldn't have been arrested in the first place. So they uh, filed what's called an accusation in Georgia. In many states, it might be called an indictment. Indictments often used for felonies, but it's a misdemeanor. But a misdemeanor is a year, like Dr. Phil said, and up to a $1,000 fine, and it's on your record. So immediately, I filed what's called a motion to quash, pointing out to the trial court that a Georgia Supreme Court, some 20-plus years earlier, had determined that when a parent who let a sibling care for a younger child. Um, and tragically, in that 1997 Supreme Court case, uh, the child died, although how or why, we don't know. Uh, the mother wasn't home because the mother turned it over to the, young, the sibling to care. And in that case, the Georgia Supreme Court said, it's not reckless. Parents do this all the time. Parents across the state do it. We can't just allow law enforcement to use what they determined to be reckless to arrest literally anyone at any time, anywhere, and just claim it's reckless. And that's really one of the issues with laws on the books around the country that give so much discretion to law enforcement. So that statute was declared unconstitutional as applied. So the trial court had my motion. We had two hours of oral arguments on July 1 of 2021 the judge heard it all. The district attorney's office vigorously opposed our motion. Months later, at the request of the trial judge, more briefing is done, more legal research, more filing, more work for me, which that's what we do. And then the judge did not rule on it. 2021 came to an end. We're into 2022. Summer of 2022, there is a George Supreme Court case comes out in a murder case talking about reckless conduct as a side note. I take some information there. I file another supplemental brief with the trial. Well, Dave, David, well, one thing I wanted to uh, uh, interrupt just for a second. So your client, Melissa Henderson, I mean, what's her state in all this? Because this sounds like this is taking a while. Is this How is this interrupting her life? Is, is she able to get back on track with things while all this is going on? Um, yes and no. She's not in jail because uh, her ex, who I we believe had a hand in starting this whole thing up, posted her bond of $1,000, and so she's out subject to the bond conditions. Uh, but she was afraid to go back to work at all because, again, the daycares were closed. She didn't have anywhere for her younger children to go, and she didn't want to entrust her 14-year-old daughter, now 14-year-old daughter, um, to well, actually 14, 15-year-old daughter to care for the kids, worried that she might get arrested again. So 
she was struggling financially and it was a horrible hardship. Meanwhile, the teenage daughter is feeling horribly guilty that her attention to her schoolwork online during pandemic that allowed the younger child to get away is had caused her mother to get arrested. So she's living with the guilt. It's, it's just disruptive uh, unless and until you've ever been arrested and subject to criminal prosecution. You don't know what it feels like to just be under the weight of a pending criminal case. So time passes. It wasn't until February of 2023, but thankfully the judge eventually granted the motion, ended the criminal prosecution, and thankfully the district attorney's office did not appeal. So the criminal prosecution is over, and yet that still doesn't mean throughout this state and every state in the country as you you're, you illustrated by some of the headlines, police don't get to substitute their judgment about what is dangerous or risky. And if it involves children, oh my gosh. And, and, and you point out that, yes, it's police who are making the arrests or the detaining parents, but it's the neighbors and the strangers who are making the phone calls to 911. And as I've said often, we're probably never going to, get people to stop calling in. We have so many warnings of see something, say something. So somebody said, see something and says something. And we've talked about this before. 911 gets calls when people don't get their pizza delivery on time. And 911 has enough sense to say, well, sorry, sir. Sorry, ma'am. Your pizza not arriving is not a police emergency, and we're not going to respond. What a crime. (laughs) Cold pepperoni. (laughs) Here's the key. Here's the key. Government needs to self-regulate itself. Uh, That's redundant. Sorry. Needs to regulate itself so that it determines through some triage. Is a child hurt? Well, we need to send an EMT. Is a child in imminent danger of an actual risk of harm? from some identifiable source, open construction site, a swimming pool, uh, something that appears that this needs the attention of somebody, which, by the way, maybe the neighbor should step in and intervene, say, hey, are you all right? And uh, incidentally, I took the deposition of the neighbor recently, the neighbor who called the police in this instance, and she she acknowledges that she was, well, I was going to just let him stay at my house for a while and then when a storm passed, the rain passed, I was going to walk him back up to his house, which is less than 100 yards away. They were neighbors in a cul-de-sac in a nice neighborhood in Union, uh, Blairsville, Georgia, which is population 700. So um, that's what neighbors do. But she called police. Police need to know when to intervene and when not to intervene, when to go further, when not to go further. And David, David, let me let me interject here one second before we get, get too far uh, too far along. You just said something that put my curiosity. You said government need to regulate itself. Is that truly possible? Even in the history of mankind, government regulating itself have not to not good as far as I can tell. Um, so, what 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 exactly did you mean about government regulating itself? I'm not I'm not sure I understand that. Well, I think there are only two ways that government will regulate itself and do, do uh, act in ways that are more consistent with the liberties and freedoms we have under the U.S. Constitution. One is if you have, um, I guess, three ways. 
One is if you have actual responsible people in positions of power who who uh, put forth policies and positions and tell people within their government oversight, here's how we're going to handle things. <clears throat> All right. Good luck with that. Um, that's that is sarcasm. Uh, step two is if we enact laws, uh, an organization called LetGrow.org is seeking legislation that makes it not a crime if a child is unattended, unless there are certain extraordinary circumstances that that warrant um, government intervention and, and criminal prosecution. And then the third way is, and we've seen this in the history, certainly recent history over the last 7,500 years, is when the people uh, individually and through organizations such as Parents USA file lawsuits against those who have violated constitutional rights as a way of saying, you're not getting away with this. We're pushing back. We're going to punish you for what you did. And then government hopefully learns a lesson, pays a price. But one of the issues, and you, you, you guys touch on this and a lot of people do, qualified immunity comes up. Government defends using taxpayer funds to pay their people, their lawyers. And then if government loses and has to pay a judgment, the taxpayers pay it because it's that's it doesn't come out of the individuals who actually committed the wrong. It doesn't come out of their pocket. So it's not Leon, it's not an easy task, but our choices are to just let it keep happening or to push back. And one of the reasons Parents USA was founded is we believe if we get enough parents on the same same in the same place, supporting the same cause of liberty and freedom for parents to make decisions about their children, then perhaps we can change something. We can right some wrongs, and more importantly, we can prevent the next parent from getting arrested because, yeah, maybe they've learned their lesson, or maybe they've read about it, or maybe they've been ridiculed enough that there's a, a hesitation the next time a police officer shows up and goes, yeah. Maybe I wouldn't have done what this mom did, but it's not criminal. But you just touched on this, but I just want to go a little, a little bit deeper here. So are you, when, in your last option, you say in terms of government regulating itself, are you suggesting that a some sort of constitutional framework, as we are attempting to do in, with the uh, U.S. Constitution, is what we need, something that defines the role and scope of government in terms of how we exercise our constitutional rights and how on what role the government should play in, in terms of the governance of society. Are you talking about something like that in terms of the scopes and the role of government? I, I would like to believe my, my personal opinion as a lawyer and uh, having studied this is I think the U.S. Constitution is a fabulous document that does define the proper role of government. Problem is the people who act under the Constitution so often violate uh, the, the boundaries of the proper role of government that it's now up to people in uh, lawsuits taking it to the courts to have courts hopefully agree, yes, that's beyond the authority granted under the Constitution to you in your role, whatever that may be, from the federal roles of president, the legislation, uh, that gets enacted, whether or not it's constitutional, whether interpretation by courts and uh, other circuits, certain circuits 
is correct or incorrect. And then on a state to state level, the same thing holds true. State courts can turn through litigation, can turn to the governor, to the legislature enacting laws that you've exceeded the scope of what you're permitted to do and interpret it. And the other part of it, of course, is if there's a money damages, and uh, many people are aware of um, uh, Section 1983, federal violation of your civil rights, meaning if a person acting under color of state law, which really just means that person is an official in the government who is doing some act or um, failing to do some act while in in their official capacity uh, or appearing to be in their official capacity, have violated your constitutional rights, people have the ability to file a lawsuit seeking money damages. Now, those are time-consuming, expensive, they take years, and then again, because government defending those lawsuits have a bottomless pit of money, our money, to defend, they will appeal adverse judgments uh, all day long. So it really takes some uh, determination and some perseverance on the behalf of people, which is why individuals are so reluctant to to begin that path, going down that path, and why it's so important that we get strength in numbers, which is, again, the, the premise of Parents USA is strength in numbers. It may not be affecting you right now, but come on board with Parents USA and allow us to try to push back so that down the road, when government's pushing and knocking on your door about your child, uh, we've already taken action rather than by inaction, we've allowed this to happen even more so. Yeah. Well, you, you know, one, one of the things, you know, a lot of libertarian, liberty minded people question a lot of areas where government is even at in the first place. But this, you know, it's like, well, why do we even need government here? But this seems to be one of those areas when you talk about children where um, the, the government is almost inextricably has to be somehow tied into the mix because once you say that a child is a minor and they don't have all the rights to speak for themselves, then the question is, okay, well, if they don't have the rights to speak for themselves, then who does speak for them? And we would hope that would be the parents almost all the time. But um, it's, you know, what I'm saying, Leon, it's, it's kind of hard to say, yeah, well, we can't just get rid of government in this area either. I, it, I, I don't know. Did you have any? Yeah. And Jason, we don't, we don't want to, because there are situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the notions uh, and, um, thoughts we want to make clear. We want children to be protected. And if their government has a role in protecting children from being harmed, yes. but by, by allowing government resources to be utilized to, to a, a prosecute, arrest and prosecute a Melissa Henderson or any of the parents that you listed, they're wasting resources that are better devoted to trying to protect children who are clearly being harmed, who are in harm's way, whose parents are doing drugs and are irresponsible, not taking care of children. So one of the the benefits of the work we do is to try to refocus government and their resources, which are always finite. They're always asking for more money from the people, but it's always finite. Go do the work that needs to be done to protect children and leave the children alone and their parents who are not being hurt and not at risk of being hurt other than through the speculation you have of, oh, we can't be allowing that. That's not reasonable to do. Look, people can disagree all the time. Um, as we often discuss it, 
if you want to be the, the term often used free range parent and allow your child a lot of um, li liberty and freedom, play in the neighborhood, ride their bike, do other things, fine. That should be your option as a parent. If on the other hand, you want to always supervise your child, be around your child, never let them out of your sight. We as reasonable people can disagree about whether that's ultimately for the benefit of your child or not. But again, it's still your right to do that. So in the range of parenting from very um, oversight and restrictive to very free, that is up to the parent, not up to government, not up to society to, to push in one direction or the other. Granted, there's a lot of research that suggests children actually benefit when over time, depending on their individual maturity, their individual physical abilities, uh, intellect, um, that they be given responsibility, they be given uh, the opportunities to walk to Dunkin' Donuts and come back with a feeling of pride and accomplishment, that's important. But it's up to the parents to decide whether they are willing to do it. Because keep in mind, a lot of decisions parents make are literally based on the parents feeling not on their parents mm -hmm. um, rational thought and data example might be there are parents who are going to say my child will not participate in tackle football I'm worried about the injuries to the child that's the parents decision to make and some will argue oh it's it's been played and in the safety and we have better helmets and tackling rules and this and that but if a parent has a I don't want my child to play fine your child doesn't need to play. Nobody should force your child to play. On the other hand, nobody should tell other parents, how dare you allow your child to play? I'm worried about the time coming when government tells you, you can't let your child participate in diving. I'm talking about diving off of diving boards because people do get hurt. You can't let your child participate in cheerleading because cheerleaders do get hurt. You can't let your child do any of these activities, lacrosse, football, hockey, because occasionally somebody, you can't let your child drive a car because people get hurt driving their car. Well, you know, they, they, this it, does, it does raise, it does raise the, the, the big question, I think, of where do we draw the line between protecting children, which I think um, it's government has a, a role in, in, in protecting children. Where do we draw the line between the protection of children by the government versus the exercising of freedoms and liberties of the parents who are supposed to be raising those children. Where do you draw that line? Well, I, here, here's what I think is one, an important concept for all of us to wrestle with. You cannot draw a line. What you can do is create a buffer uh, between things that are clearly we need government to help protect children from, and clearly we need government to butt out, and everything in between is up to constant review, constant discussion, constant um, analysis and um, uh, moving of where that line is depending on the individual. But then ultimately, it should default to the side of it's up to the parents to make that decision for their child because every child is different. The, it, it's so often everybody knows this is true, but can we get it in, in, uh, into our laws and our policies, government policies? At what one age, size fits all. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly yeah. where I was going. Oh, you can't do this until you're this age. Really? Because age is just a artificial number that people assign to, well, until you're 18, 
you shouldn't be allowed to smoke cigarettes or uh, be legally permitted to contract, uh, enter into contracts, uh, get a tattoo, do a lot of things, make medical decisions. Well, that's a, that's an interesting point because the age for different things, depending on people's agenda, keeps changing. Um, and maybe age shouldn't be used. Instead, it should be based on the individual child, um, age of majority. I mean, in every, virtually every state, the, the, to my knowledge, it's if you join the military, you no longer are a child. You're now considered uh, not a minor. You're now an adult. If you get married, you're now considered an adult, not a minor. If you um, live on your own away from your parents um, and support yourself, you're now considered an adult, not a minor, regardless of age. I'm, I'm not sure why and we should adopt any of those, but what I'm suggesting is the age limit that we put on very government puts on us and our children for virtually everything isn't necessarily an appropriate measure of capacity of the child or when the adult should no longer have the ability to make decisions for their own children. Well, you know, this is a good uh, topic to transition on to our, our next thing, which is schools. But, you know, one of the things I, I, I guess I was taking from that last conversation is that, you know, you have parents who might decide in different ways. But if if we allow parents uh, the ability to decide for themselves, you'll get this kind of a, a market developing if parents can look at how other parents decisions are working out right it's not a one-size-fits-all and we can see what works versus what if the government just came in and told everybody it shall be a certain way kind of like in our education system James maybe we could bring up this visual and I I can't think of a, a way that government one-size-fits-all has really failed us worse than our public education system, where we've essentially given government a monopoly to deliver education to our kids in a lot of places. And we saw one of the worst outcomes of this with COVID, where you know, government policy was just shut it all down, you know, they keep the kids home. And then we found out to a population was by the way, one of the least at risk populations for COVID, they wound up taking the brunt of the cost of all this. It, 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 their own measurements, the school systems, these kids are now a year behind uh, most well, of them. Multiple were. years, but actually decades. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> let me lead off with this because I want to get that age thing. Imagine if government across the country implemented a law that said, you may not, no child under the age of, let's put an age in here, 15, 16, whatever, is permitted to possess a smartphone, iPhone, Android, any phone, can't have a device. They're not allowed to have it because governments determine that it's not healthy for children to have a device. Many parents want their children to have a device for emergency, to reach out to them to be able to entertain themselves while they're on road trips for whatever reason, it should not be up to government to pick some artifact to tell parents whether or not your child can have a device and worse at what age your child 
Oh, and David, I, I have to break into that thought real quick. If you're watching us on public access, we're going to have to let you go right now because we're about at the end of the show there. But you can catch the rest of this conversation online. Uh, you can check us out at knuckleheadsofliberty.com. You can find us at uh, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Facebook, Rumble. Um, and uh, also, too, if you're watching, uh, go, go check out parentsusa.org as well so you can find out more about that organization and past interview we've done with David. Uh, but we're going to have to leave you for now. So, and, and then transitioning back to education, which is the topic where we're going, the recent headlines are disturbing. But if you, we did research on the past 20 or 30 years of government-provided public schools, it's not any better. It's only showing the trend and showing how awful it has been. Let's put more money into our public schools they'll do better. And the answer, the result is no, they, they don't do better. Uh, it's everything in, in the market. And at Parents USA, we write about this often on our social media, and I hope everybody will follow us on across the social media platforms. But government doesn't do a particularly good job at anything, mostly because there's not competition. This is true in healthcare, healthcare benefits, insurance, coverage, People want it, but the ultimate outcome of government involvement in healthcare is prices rise, insurance companies take their cut, Medicare and the administration. Let's go to education. Education doesn't improve when provided by the, uh, the government because there's no competition for their customers. Who are the customers? Well, we contend parents are the customers who enroll their children based on what they can afford, what their options are. Is it an affordable education option? In most cases, parents have no options, true options. The argument, oh, there's always choice. You can always send your child to private school or homeschool. Well, you can, as far as liberty-wise, you can do that. But you don't. You can also go buy um, a $100,000 car, but if you can't afford it, it doesn't matter that you can do it. You're not going to do it because it's not affordable. You cannot. Well, you know, th th there's one other thing I'd like to add in that too. Yeah. Is that not only is it just not a fair choice between the government school or the private school, but the government has already taken your money for their choice of the government school. So it's it's almost like you know if they took your money for uh, and said, "Hey, look, you're going to get a meal at McDonald's every day," um, but you know, uh, and you said, well, "What if I don't want them?" Well, that's okay. We've taken your money, and you can go there if you want your meal at McDonald's. But you're paying for that one way or another. <laughs> right. right. Be uh, crazy. We wouldn't stand for it. <laughs> agreed. And, and the yeah. idea is that we wouldn't stand for it. Again, the pandemic silver lining is there's more attention being paid to what's the true opportunities for parents to provide an education for their children. Now, look, in another show, because we could do an entire show on this topic, question is, should government be requiring parents of children between six and 16 to attend school in some form or fashion because of the claim that it is government's um, role to ensure that its population is, is properly educated. And I'll quickly I'll tell you the answer is, the answer is no. Government shouldn't have the role and here's why. 
Well, before you before you go into that, David, let me James, can you bring up the visual real quick just so we can get Parents USA's page on school education here or, or kids education? OK, yeah, go on, David. I just figured it'd be good that people could see that in the background while you're talking. And, and, and I'm going to update that because we, we have a lot of information we need to provide there. So here, here's a quick, quick premise on the whole idea of compulsory education. None of the laws in the country compel education. They compel attendance because money is tied to attendance because none of the laws say you must send your child to school and they must pass or you're subject to a criminal charge against you for violating our compulsory education law. They all say if you don't send your child to school, you're, you have committed a crime and we're going to prosecute you for not getting your child to school regardless of whether they get an education. Here's the second component. If it truly is the proper role of government to ensure that its population is reasonably educated, then that would mean every new resident in the state, everybody that comes in to get a driver's license, wouldn't just take a driver's test. They would also take a reading test, a math test, a science test, a world history test, because we want to make sure whether you're 6 to 16 or 16 to 80, you're properly educated. And if not, we need to send you to some remedial school. That's what government is claiming is the basis of their right and authority to tell parents your child must attend a school or meet our homeschool requirements or go to a, a certified private school or hybrid school. So it's, it's all a joke what government's imposing on parents. So that said, the compulsory part, let's go past that and go to our public schools during the job. And the answer is no, and the reason is lack of competition. Parents are the customers, their children. Do parents choose which doctor, what pediatrician, what dentist, what karate studio, what coach in sports leagues and teams of uh, their child in which their child participates? Of course. And if the parent doesn't like how the coach yells at their child, hey, coach, um, really don't think that's effective coaching technique to scream at my child much less the other um, members of your, your little league team. And we really like you to quit doing it. And the coach turns to the parent and says, hey, this is how I coach. That's how I'm going to coach. You don't like it? Tough beans. Yeah, yeah talk to my union. <laughs> <laughs> well, the parent, the parent then has the choice of saying, you know what? I'm, taking, I'm withdrawing my child from your little league team, and I'm going to sign him up and play on a different team or I'm going to change neighborhoods, or I'm going to go to a different place. I mean, we read about high school phenomenon uh, basketball players who change their high schools, uh, basically to prep them for college and scholarships and the like. But here's the thing, parents, let's pay attention. And I'm sorry, the burden is on you, parents. If you don't like what's going on in your school, our recommendation is you let the school know. You uh, try to get all the parents you know together to vote. Uh, out school board members who have a position you don't with which you don't agree. Recruit somebody to run for school board and back them and try to get them in. Ultimately, if you can't get the school to change, then you need to take your child and move them to a different school. If that means homeschool, private school, hybrid school, or like they did in the 1800s, or let's go back to the 1600s, you have to move. Look, I'm sorry, but in the 1600s, people were coming across from England to uh, the colonies 
on a boat, they weren't even sure they would arrive alive. And then in the 18, mid 1800s, people are going from East Coast to West Coast in Conestoga wagons across what were then hostile territories, not very receptive to human beings just being there. Um, there weren't grocery stores and roads and gas stations. So if ultimately for the benefit of your child, you don't like what's going on, vote with your feet and move because here's what will happen. And, and the other is we need to get school choice that we like to call parents choice, affordable education options, because schools are nothing more than providers of educational services, just like doctors are providers of medical and healthcare services and dentists and everything else you can list. There's nothing more to them, nothing less to them. And until we treat schools as education providers, that parents have the ability to say, hmm, this is a really good school district. I'll pay top dollar for real estate or I'll rent an apartment here or I'll do whatever I can because this is a great school system. Hmm, this is a terrible school system, but I live here. It's my assigned public school district. Well, you need to make some changes. If you're willing to move across the country for a, a different job opportunity because your company is either moving you or you applied for a job and you know, great, you got the job, but now you have to uproot your family and move. If you'll do it for your job, do move for your children and go to a different school. And when we collectively as parents act and don't just talk to talk, but we act on this idea of our children deserve better, then schools will have to compete because they'll lose enrollment and the, the children will end up being at home. Now, we do believe that state legislatures need to pass reasonable education, um, affordable education options as the law, so that if this $12,000 go to the public schools in that state for to educate one child, well, that $12,000 should go to the parents to use for private schooling or to allow them to homeschool if it makes it more affordable to homeschool. Because that parent might be on the cusp of, you know, what I make by the time I pay for daycare, then pay for this and pay for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll stay home and homeschool rather than work and make $25,000 a year. I have two kids. Now, I'm not sure we want to encourage parents to have children in order to get the money to homeschool. That's another issue altogether. But if you follow my point is we need to make competition work because if anybody, here's the easiest way to look at it. Open up anything on your, on, if you're watching this on the internet, just open your browser and search for a flat screen 65 inch TV search for a computer with the fastest processor and and the largest um, solid state hard drive but do it after the show don't do it now <laughs> <laughs> but you already know the answer prices are ridiculously low and the the uh, the uh, the features and the products that you can buy are incredible why because of comp because of competition when these companies are competing for your dollars they are driven to provide you better products at lower prices because that's how you get customers. Public schools don't have this. And because of that, they don't worry about what you as a parent say. It, at school board meetings, the, the common theme is school boards might, and I say that, might tolerate listening with your ears closed to parents speaking at the lectern about what they do or don't like. And incidentally, I, sorry to go on a rant here, but parents, let's focus on what, what matters. If it matters to your child what school books are available at their school, 
let's not call it a school book ban, but that a library needs to have boundaries and have uh, uh, limits to what they offer and is accessible. Just like if you go to a public library, they'll have areas that are called children's section, adult sections, other sections. Schools make sense to do that. But if your school won't go along with you, then go elsewhere. But keep in mind, you have the power and the right to make decisions for your children, but you don't have the power and the right to make decisions for my children, for Jason or Leon's children or anybody else's children. So keep your focus on your children and to the extent you can control your children and what they do, just like if, uh, you know, in years past, if one of the parents in the house had a magazine, let's say, with pictures that you didn't want your children to see, your choices were not to bring that magazine home or to make sure that you hit it well enough that they never found it. Now, with the Internet, it's a whole different ballgame. So now, do you have filters on your computers at home? If not, then you're basically allowing your children to find things just like they may find at school. And I'm not chastising you, parents. I'm helping you focus on what can you change and how do you change it. And the most important thing is we do need to get state legislatures to take the money they've taken from you and from other parents and other non-parents. Keep in mind the taxes that are paid in states to fund public schooling comes from all people, including those who don't even have children. Um, and and well, Dave, range- David, you, you yeah. opened up an interesting thing when you talked about the book bans and stuff like that. And that kind of brings me to another thing that is also connected with schools. And Leon, I'll let you jump right in on all this because I know you're probably chomping at the bit to say something about school choice. But but the uh, um, James, can you bring up the visual real quick? Um, y- you know, this is one of the things we see happening with a monopoly, right, where they essentially can control what you see. What, what your kids are exposed to, all these things. And if you don't have a choice, that's kind of like that monopoly thing where, you know, they'll just do it and you're stuck with whatever the, you know, prevailing wisdom is of that school. And one of the crazy things we're seeing, especially out here in California, is that the schools are deciding to take it upon themselves to hide information about your kids that's uh, popping up at school from the parents. And uh, this is a story here um, where a a school teacher was told that uh, she had, I guess, seen that a child was struggling with gender identity, and she felt that the parent should understand that her child was going through this. And so she made the decision to tell them and they fired her because the, the, I guess the underground regulation that they were running on, on school policy was to tell the, you know, the teachers that you don't tell the parents if the kid has any kind of um, gender identification issues, but you know, it's just absolutely disturbing that the schools are taking it upon themselves to make these decisions, to, to decide they know best what you as the parent should be even know about your own child. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we see in California, um, th- th- there was, uh, I, I guess, a, a whole school district that was literally accused by, uh, by uh, I, I guess it was uh, a whistleblower was saying that, you know, hey, look, they're literally saying that uh, they're, they're counseling kids to do things without their parents' knowledge. Uh, so this is uh, just insane. And, you know, just to bring it to the national stage, too, we saw something similar when Rand Paul, uh, near the beginning of the Biden administration, was um, he was questioning uh, a secretary or uh, I can't remember exactly what her a title nominee. is, a doctor. Yeah, a nominee 
nominee, uh, Dr. Rachel Levine, uh, about issues of gender uh, affirming care. And he wanted to know exactly what this means and if they would be willing to do this without the parents' knowledge. And she would not give him a straight answer during that discussion, which was, you know, she just said, oh, well, you know, you these are complex decisions and you can come to my office and we can discuss it more. I mean, this the whole point is this was a public <laughs> forum so that we could understand and not let's keep it all behind closed doors. Uh, so anyways, yeah, I've Throw it back to you guys, uh, um, you know, to jump in further on this. Uh, before it's, before it's, we go to the to the um, to the the whole issue of the school districts hiding stuff from the parent, which is God is is appalling as as, as you, you can get. But I want to go back, step back a little bit, a little bit on this on the school choice issue. David, what is what what is the role, or what what do you see? What do you see as a role? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of resistance in many states to. To um to spare, I guess parent parents' choice. There's a lot of resistance to it, but what is the role of the teachers' unions in these things? What what is the role? Where, where, are you guys finding the resistance there? And and what, what, what where do you see that going? Well, unions do what unions do. If it's an automobile workers' union, if it's the NBA Players Association, or if it's a teachers' union, theoretically they operate and work to the benefit of of their members. Now, we can make an argument about whether or not the teachers union is actually doing things uh, and taking positions for the benefit of their union members. Uh, I would submit they probably are to this extent. The the more power public schools have, the more uh, money and power the teachers have and the more power and money the union teachers union has. But honestly, our focus on teachers unions, um, I believe is... uh, misplaced. Our focus should be on parents find the right culprit. The culprit is the individual legislators who take union, teacher union money and then vote in the ways the teachers union wants them to vote. It's true in every aspect of our government and our system, say auto workers who want uh, certain subsidies or don't want certain subsidies for EV cars or this Whatever it is, farmer, the farmers' cooperatives who want farmer uh, subsidies uh, enacted and continued by Congress. So as a society, we need to look at uh, who is acting on beha- our behalf. Um, often, if you think about it, the AARP, which has 33 million uh, members, is a union for older Americans. And Parents USA hopes to grow to be a union for parents of such size and strength and money that we can, through our advocacy, uh, affect the changes we want, parents want universally without us dictating to you what our position, what your position as parents should be on any particular issue is to create the freedom and the bound, create, push back against government imposing on you. So I don't think teachers unions are the problem. It's the legislatures and the government who go along with teachers unions because we okay. can't stop teachers unions, but you can stop the legislators, vote them out, identify yes. Call them out, see the campaign donations they get and the positions they take and the absurdity of the positions they take, because this is public money being spent on public schools that do not serve uh, public, the public, and they certainly don't serve individual children. Now, let's let's touch on because it's really significant. Jason brought it up. Leon, let's let's talk about the hiding information from parents if it's about gender issues. That shouldn't be the conversation. 
the conversation is hiding anything from parents about their child while sure. in your care. If you send yes. your child to summer camp and at summer camp, your child starts a fire in a tent and burns a cabin or a cabin burns a cabin down. Yeah, that child might get in trouble with the parents if it's reported to the parents. But I think the parents have a right to know if your child is on a sports team and while on traveling out of town for a, a game uh, and is young and ends up drinking alcohol or using uh, drugs that are illegal drugs, um, the parents have a right to know and nobody should hide that information from them. I think where parents get sidetracked is when they limit the scope of their uh, outrage to you're hiding information about gender discomfort or gender transition or gender anything. Once you add the word gender, the retort to that is, oh, you must be transphobic or you have issues or you're hurting your child. So here's a couple points. Unless to protect a child from harm, nobody in government is allowed under the Constitution to infringe on the fundamental rights of parents. So when schools say that they are hiding information in order to protect children from the harm that might come from what happens at home if the parents were to learn, then the argument is, must be, the retort, the reply to that has to be, it's not your place to make that decision. If you contend that there may be harm to a child, a student at, in your school, if the parents were to learn of something, you don't have a right to withhold the information. You then are obligated as a mandatory reporter under child abuse laws to report it to law enforcement or child protective services and let them investigate and them determine whether or not that risk of harm is legitimate to the point where there needs to be government intervention. Schools are, are educational service providers. They are not CPS, they are not law enforcement, and yet schools make this argument and we as parents need to counter that with, fine, if you believe my child might be harmed by the revelation of information, your obligation is to turn that over to the people who are equipped, trained, and have authority to investigate and act. You don't get to make that unilateral decision on your, uh, without parents' knowledge. Now, let's, let's illustrate how that works. Your child's at school and is being bullied, or your child is the bully. Does, does the school have a right to withhold that information from you? No. If, it doesn't matter where it occurred. It, again, on a sports team, at school, anywhere where you turn your child over to others to care for them and provide services, in this case, educational services. Nobody has a right to hide information. I saw a retweet this morning that I think is, is beautiful and I can't wait to share it with everybody. <clears throat> in essence, it said, if a child makes the decision as, at school that the student wishes to be illiterate and doesn't want to learn, does the teacher then, in order to avoid the child perhaps having um, having a reaction from his parent, his or her parents, they don't want. Does the teacher now lie about the grades, give the child a B plus in English, even though the child can't read? Tell the parents in parent teacher conference, your child's doing great. You know, reading at grade level, a complete lie. 
purportedly in order to protect the child from having ramifications at home by the parents learning the child is flunking and can't read a lick. Now, the answer is no. So what, regardless of what the topic is, that's not the role or authority legally for a school to uh, allow to occur under their purview. And I think parents make, make the, um, the incorrect approach by limiting the scope of what they're saying, hey, you must tell me about gender. No, you must tell me about everything. You must tell me about bullying. You must tell me about fights. You must tell me about if my child had sex in a bathroom with a teacher or another student, I have a right to know this information. My reaction to it is none of your business until and unless I overreact to the point where my child is hurt. And oh, by the way, <clears throat> that's not your, your decision to make uh, about that either. Because let's put it this way. If a child, a student tells a teacher, oh, I'm afraid my parents, if they learn I'm flunking English, they're going to punish me. Or a student says, I'm afraid that if my parents learn that I'm confused about my gender and that they're really, really strict, far right, you know, uh, religious, crazy people, they're going to they're going to impose themselves on me. That's the same student who might be telling the teacher they get, the dog ate their homework or the reason they didn't get something done or some other thing that is not true. So think about it. Schools, teachers, administrators are taking the word of a student or assuming every student whose parents might learn of some piece of information uh, would face dire consequences at home. And that entitles the teacher or the school administrators to make decisions to hide information from the teachers. I'm sorry, from the parents not only hide the information from the parents, not also make a, a contemporaneous report to law enforcement or child protective services. We, I as a teacher, I as an administrator, fear for the safety and welfare of this child at home if the parents learn the child's flunking. Well, you know, truth is, that's not the teacher or the school's choice to make, and we need to stop it. Yeah. But David, but David, what what recourse, what recourse does do parents have when when the school district or, or the teacher or teachers or principal, what recourse do parents have when it's obvious that, that the teachers are, uh, or the principal or the school district is either hiding or withholding information? And uh, let me, let me, let me um, put this in a little different light. In Baltimore, there were like 23 high schools or 23 schools and, and, um, mm -hmm. that they surveyed. They could not find one student, not one, saw that. saw that who could who could who could read or do math at grade level. Now that have to be some massive deception, some massive withholding of information, some massive something going on in that school that is not good for the child, and a massive amount of information being withheld from the parents. Now, what recourses parents have when that is so obvious? Well, and, and hold on, David, before you answer, um, I, I kind of wanted to sandwich this with the next issue as well, because parents getting outraged that this kind of thing is happening, you would think would be kind of the normal result. But James, maybe you could bring up the visual. One of the things we're seeing is the government is criminalizing parents when they get upset about finding out about these things. You know, I mean, if I if I had my kid in a school and I found out that he was illiterate and the school had been lying, I would be outraged. But 
you know, what we're finding is, is that the school boards, as they get pushback, they're actually kind of sicking the law on parents. Right. I mean, this is, this is, uh, you know, uh, Orwellian almost. I, I, well, I mean, there's a lot of things that have been Orwellian recently. This is just absolutely stunning. And, and they're kind of aided by some of these groups like SPLC and others, you know, going and counting groups like uh, this one moms for liberty that you know their 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 whole crime apparently is being skeptical of the government <laughs> and so they're labeled as a hate group and they take these labels the government and they say well we found out that that's a hate group because you know this group that is you know loves the government says that they're a hate group because they don't like the government. <laughs> it's, just, it's crazy, but yeah, go go ahead, David. I, I didn't want to uh, sidetrack yeah, too no, much. No, no, I think I think your your points are well taken. Um, I, I really don't want what I say to be taken as chastising parents. Uh, I want to encourage parents to be active, involved, participating in their children's lives, loving their children, helping their children best they can. Uh, I, I do believe that. Parents uh, individually and as a group are extraordinarily powerful force, but they need to really assess where their power is. Their power is, I, I don't want to discourage people from speaking up in a civil manner, taking positions that they believe in, whatever those positions may be, by the way, across the spectrum. But as I mentioned earlier, every parent has the right to speak on behalf of their child and their children, but not for other people's children. Uh, and therefore, the best thing we can all do as parents is if you don't like what somebody's doing, you need to move, you, we, uh, vote with your feet, act with your, your wallet, um, spend your money where you want. Look, all of these issues, again, if it was you go to the pediatrician's office and you find out they're hiding something from you, that's the last time you take your child to that pediatrician. If you go to the dentist and the, the, child um, in you're not in the room let's say and the dentist is telling the child you need a filling the kid says I don't want a filling it's going to hurt so then and says please don't tell my parents I have a have a cavity and so the dentist doesn't tell the parents you have a cavity not only do we have a a ethical and professional uh, issue there but let's just say it happens and the parents later find out when the child's cavity grows 10 times and the child's in massive pain, we, we react to that. We might sue the dentist, but beyond that, you'd take them to a different dentist who won't hide that information because parents need the information to make the decisions. Because And that hadn't been mentioned, and it's my fault for not saying it earlier. The reason no provider of any service, i.e., teachers, school administrators, education services, or medical services, or anything else, should be allowed to even hide the tiniest bit of information from the parents is this. Parents in the dark cannot make informed choices. Like Leon pointed out, if you, now look, if your child can't read, um, Maybe there's a way to have learned that at home because you read together or you, you're reading captions on TV or in advertisements or some other way. Sure. Should parents be paying more attention to their own child? Sure. But that's not the issue. Let's not deflect the issue to the back to the parents. The point is education service providers, schools, teachers, administrators have a duty to provide education services and to 
convey to the parents what is happening at the school, everything about it. I'm a lawyer. Can you imagine a lawyer not telling a client some piece of information that will allow the client to make a informed choice? Oh, by the way, client, I missed that deadline. So you're no longer have a valid claim because that deadline, you, you can't miss it or something like that. Can't be done. It ethically, professionally, and as far as the rights of parents, the parents have that right to know. And government has no business trying to intervene and support those who would who would hide information on anything. Again, we wouldn't blink at the at the idea of it's wrong for a school not to provide the correct grades for children. Incidentally, that the conversation about grade inflation and how certain students who really can't read or write or do math up to grade level are allowed to advance year after year and then graduate with a high school diploma that is not indicative of their uh, educational status. That's an issue and we should really be acting on that as well as everything else we're acting on now. It's again, the blessing in disguise of the pandemic is parents become much more aware, but I'm suggesting that parents become much more um, wise in how we fight and battle with the forces, and <laughs> I'm sorry, forces of evil. I just wanted to have, it, it's not that they're evil. I want to rather say the forces that think they know better than you. And let's touch on that because here's a really important piece of information. When you take your child to the doctor, unless you happen to be a doctor yourself, and even then maybe not, the doctor probably knows better than you everything there is to know about medicine and healthcare. If you take the same thing with the dentist, same thing at your sports coach, your child's playing little league baseball. That coach probably knows more about baseball than you do. Again, depending on your background. So it's never about whether the parent knows as much about the topic as the person they've hired to do the job. It's whether the parent has the right to know everything about their own child from which they can make informed decisions about whether to continue allowing their child to be provided services by the doctor, by the dentist, by the coach, by the teacher and the educational system. It's about the parent's right to know it. And here's the other key. Constitutionally, parents have the fundamental right to make decisions for their children up until the point where they're causing actual harm, which is defined by the, the U.S. Supreme Court as physical harm or long-term emotional harm. And so here's the point. Parents don't have, and this is one of the things I wish parents would quit saying, I know what's best for my child. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe you don't. You don't have to. Quit saying you know what's best because that's a good argument an opponent can make against you. Well, no, you really don't because you're not very well educated. You're not very smart. You don't have a degree. You don't have this. You don't have that. Don't say you have, you know what's best for your child. Say instead, I have the right to make decisions for my child, not you. And I can make a better decision if I'm fully informed. And that's why, among other reasons, you are obligated, obligated to tell me everything there is about my child when my child is in your care, that I have provided the authority for you to provide services, educational, medical, athletic services, music teacher. You know, if, if you you enroll your child, little girl in a dance troupe or little boy in a dance troupe and they end up in outfits and dancing to music with lyrics and music you find unacceptable for your child, 
you can tell the choreographer and the dance instructor, hey, I don't like this. But if they go, that's the music, that's the routine, that's the costume, and you don't like any of it, you can't make that teacher do it differently. But you can take your child out of that dance instructor's class and go to a different one and say, hey, can I see the music, the choreography, and the costumes you use with your um, students? That's what parents need to be doing instead of trying to. And then what will happen is there'll be fewer students at these schools. And at some point, economics, look, money talks. When the money quits going into the schools and the legislatures are called out by us as parents and voters, that's when change will really happen. But we need to do it together and we need to not fight a war based on one, one narrow band of issue, say gender, because when you do, you're actually giving ammunition to those who oppose you by calling you. If you're against CRT, please, please maybe don't call it CRT. Call it, quit using shorthand. Instead, call it, I'm against any curriculum that isn't factually history-based and neutral on its ramifications so that what children who are students should be doing, which is thinking critically about the information they're getting and coming to conclusions that are up for discussion about the ramifications and impact and import for the future. But when you say critical race theory, everybody goes, oh, you're a racist. You don't, you don't want kids <laughs> to know about our racist history. Yeah. We have a racist history in America, as does the world. That said, when we use shorthand, so here's, here's a thought I'd like everybody to absorb. Once I heard a a radio psychologist used this in deflecting from a caller who said, I need to know what to do. And the psychologist said, do you know, under your belief, uh, moral beliefs, whatever your beliefs are right and wrong, what the right decision to make is. And the caller said, yes, I do. And the advice given was, well, then why don't you do that? And the reaction, well, it would hurt somebody's feelings. It would be inconvenient. It would cost me money. It, it, it's difficult. And so the, the response to that is, so you're telling me you're willing to do the wrong thing because it's expensive, difficult, inconvenient, and would hurt somebody's feelings? We as parents need to quit doing what's convenient. We need to quit doing what's expedient, what's easy, what's cheap, uh, inexpensive. Let me use inexpensive. Instead, we need to look at what's the issue we're, we're dealing with that involves our children and say, whatever it takes, because parents will almost universally say, I love my child. I'll do anything for them. All right. Okay. Change hey, David, job, move, yeah. homeschool, whatever you have to do, do it. We, we, you know, that, that kind of bookends into a, uh, an idea that you brought up earlier, which was the idea that may, maybe you don't know uh, as a parent necessarily have the best knowledge for, you know, your child. But, you know, one thing about the parent is that they have the best incentive to to be after what's best for their child versus some impersonal state. And this kind of brings us up to our knucklehead noise patrol in the end here. And, um, and James, maybe I could get a visual on that real quick. Um, so our commander in chief is a little bit confused about a lot of things, but one of the things he showed he's confused about this week is that whose kids these are anyways. And I think, you know, we've had a long discussion here about, you know, 
parental rights and really who has the the most incentive to look out for the kids. And I, I tell you, this shows the short sightedness, I think, of, of those who are command and control types who are running the government. James, maybe we could get the uh, um, video on this one real quick because uh, Biden made a statement on this. These are our kids. These are our neighbors, not somebody else's kids. They're all our kids. And our children are the kite strings that hold our national ambitions aloft. It matters a great deal how we treat everyone in this country. The LGBTQ Americans, especially children, you're loved, you're heard, and this administration has your back. So so there you, there you have it, Biden. I mean, you know, he, he may be speaking from good intent, maybe, but he's missing the point of whose kids these are, <laughs> you know, but these are our kids, not not your kids as a parent, you know, to be able to make some of these decisions. Uh, you guys want to take some final uh, thoughts on I this? I wouldn't say I wouldn't say this is good intent, Jason. OK, I would not say call that good intent because this is nothing but the continued effort of the left to destroy the rights of parents and how and how they choose to raise their children. But I'll let David, let David talk to it. Well, look, I, I, I think some of the sentiments um, and uh, w- one of the questions, of course, is who wrote that? Um, maybe he had a hand in it. Maybe he directed it. Somebody else wrote it. It doesn't matter. It is coming from the office of the commander in chief, the president of the United States. Uh, I, a few words in there, by the way, um, I, with which I have agreement is we should treat everybody civilly with respect and dignity. That. That one of the issues, one of the ways we should frame this, and for those of you who are younger, you, you think back, you, you can't think back except through the, the lens of history, recorded history, is, and I saw the movie Guess Who's Coming to Dinner uh, with Sidney Poitier, Spencer Tracy, Audrey Hepburn recently. Uh, it's remarkable to me that in 1967, when this movie came out, uh, the decision, U.S. Supreme Court decision in Loving v. Virginia came out that made it unconstitutional to prohibit interracial marriages. Mm-hmm. Think about it, 1967, come on, as a country, we're, we're still growing, but 67, oh my goodness. And for those who haven't seen the movie, it's, there's not, I don't know how many better movies there are, it's among the best, but my point is fights need to be made uh, appropriately so for the rights and dignity of all humans worldwide okay and in the u.s which is our focus parent usa everybody every parent has a right for your child your child unless you're hurting your child you have that fundamental constitutional right but where i think the president goes astray is this notion that has been pervasive in our country is that we have an obligation to make sure everybody everybody uh, we're in everybody's business no stay out of my business stay out of my family's business one of the things that you said, Jason, that is important is each parent has the right to know and the right to guide and direct their child. Why? Because each parent may have a different thought of the job and responsibility they have for their children. Now, granted, there are some terrible parents everywhere. There are parents who don't take responsibility, aren't engaged, aren't involved. But, you know, some parents, maybe they're gro- they're a bad word. They're raising their children to become a professional athlete there. I know some who are doing that, by the way, uh, depending on their background. There are others. Um, there's, there's a notion and it, it's, there's some truth in it. Culturally, 
Asians guide their children into academic success, pushing them harder than maybe other non-Asian families. Again, what is stereotype? Stereotypes are terrible, by the way. Don't like them, but let's use them because they're sometimes useful. And if they do, others can be critical. Oh, you're pushing your child too hard to succeed academically. Well, culturally, from where some people were born and raised, academic success leads to uh, job security, leads to material success, leads to a certain level of lifestyle that some people think is important. Others will focus on religion, the afterlife, the moral uh, training. It is up to each parent to decide for their child what they want to impart from their knowledge base. Some, some people grew up in really harsh and horrible uh, childhoods, became adults. Now they're parents and their, their mandate for themselves is, I don't want my child to go through what I went through. And so they're determined not to divorce or they're determined not to be abusive toward their children. So again, each parent decides for their child. So maybe, as I say, don't parents, I encourage you, don't use the, I know what's best for my child. Instead say, I know my child and you don't. I know my child and the future I want for my child and the future I'm hoping my child will have, and I want to, I have that right to guide it. You don't, you're only here to provide. Hey, if you, I I love analogies and I hope they they make sense to everybody. If you take your child to the barber or the hairstylist and you walk out of the room after having gone over what's going to happen and you come back and your child's head is shaved and you did not authorize it, are you going to go, well, okay, uh, you did what you did against my wishes and didn't get my permission in advance, and I'm just going to have to live with it? The answer is no. We would be outraged, not because of the hairstyle. Maybe your child wanted that, but you'd be outraged because somebody did something to your child without your permission or consent in advance. So, again, it's not whether or not you know what's best for your child It's you know your child and you know your family and you know yourself and you know what you want for your child and everybody providing services. Again, music, art, athletics, education, academics, they are merely providing services from which you as a parent can raise your child in the way you hope they would be raised. That's your right. Now, as far as the country, not your child. There's none of that in there. Nobody and not all people are the same. Once we get past the let's respect and, and uh, the dignity of every child and every adult, that's true. But every child is raised by parents. If, if for some reason we had a consensus nationally, uh, I, I won't use it. I, I could do more analogy. But the idea is we cannot and should not look to our federal government or state governments or local governments to tell us how our children what the outcome for our children should be. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the best ways we can do that is let a thousand flowers bloom. And to do that, we need organizations like David's out there looking out to make sure that, you know, parents are are involved in those choices. And it's not just some monolith of government making those choices. And uh, James, can I, a uh, visible hand, can I get our uh, uh, visual up that here is the website for Parents USA. Encourage you to go check that out. It's parentsusa.org. Um, and again, you know, we, we've got to have a voice uh, for the parents in this fight, because if we don't, uh, it's going to be one voice from government in the end. 
And I guess with that, uh, thanks so much for joining us and we will see you at the next one. Until then, stay tuned and stay free. Yes, Thank indeed. You. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness always and forever. Thank you for listening to the Knuckleheads of Liberty podcast. Find us on Facebook, Rumble, YouTube, your favorite podcast network, and at knuckleheadsofliberty.com.